0: Welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. In this HCI podcast episode, I talk with Michael Vann about strategic planning and growth, particularly within second stage companies. Michael Van, welcome to the Human Capital Innovations podcast. Thanks for having me. Excited it's really a pleasure to have you joining me today, uh, Michael. You you come to us um, from the strategy space where you help um, organizations with their strategic formulations and uh, trying to think through their growth, you know, and uh, SWOT analyses and various things related to. Their growth and development. Uh, I think this is super important, particularly in this um, time of COVID pandemic, as we're trying to, you know, as a lot of organizations are are fighting just to stay alive. Um, I think a lot of these um, these second stage companies, the types that you tend to work with the most, are also a lot of them are very vulnerable right now. Um, And so it'll be really interesting to talk through that with you and. And get your ideas on um, how you're approaching uh, these topics with your clients and trying to help organizations find sustainable strategic approaches to riding out the storm, so to speak, and move on into, uh, hopefully right on into the sunset post-pandemic, right?
1: Yeah, no, it was a fascinating, uh, I guess, tumultuous would probably be a better term, you know, from mid-March when this hit through you know, probably I don't know, maybe mid-April or so. That first month to six weeks of watching this black swan event suddenly take all these businesses that you know were working towards implementing strong strategies and building their companies, and then completely seeing all of that just put into into doubt, and in how they responded to it. And um, I think one of the fascinating things was it was indiscriminate as to which organizations it it hit. You know, we yeah, had yeah. companies that we thought would be, you know, great. The recession proof typically, you know, cause they're in these, these types of industry, like as much as everyone, food or restaurant business can be challenging. People are always going out to eat, you know, so you can, you can weather a 10 or 20% shutdown or reduction in sales, but then suddenly be told overnight, no, you're shot. Yeah. Um, but that company over there, they're allowed to stay open. So it was, It was a wild experience to deal with the the differences of of how winners and losers were were chosen arbitrarily by the government.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Well, as we get started today, just um, for my listeners, so they get a little bit more background to you, I just want to briefly share a little bit about your background and your company uh, and then give you a chance to add anything. And then we'll jump on into our discussion. Michael is the president of the Van Group, LLC. He joined the firm in 1999 and is is responsible for the day-to-day management and strategic direction of the firm. Michael has over 20 years of strategic consulting and transactional advisory experience. He is a member of the Forbes Coaches Council, a licensed uh, predictable success practitioner, and is a licensed facilitator of the Edward Lowe Foundation's Peer Perspectives Program. Uh, He is also a member of the Lowe Foundation Strategic Integration Growth SWAT team, which provides support to growth-oriented second-stage companies. Um, I could go on and on about your personal background, but let me read a little bit more about um, your business. The Van Group is a multi-generational family-owned business that provides strategic consulting and transactional advisory services to the owner. To the owners of privately held businesses, the Van Group is an affiliate of the ROCG Americas. ROCG is an international professional services and consulting firm with offices throughout North America, Europe, and Asia, and the Asia Pacific region. Um, They are the only international firms specializing in the areas of strategy, finance, finance operations of business uh, transitions for the privately owned and emerging growth enterprises. Uh, what an interesting and, and fascinating background, Michael, and uh, it really is truly a pleasure to have you join us. Anything you would like
1: to add as we get started? No, I think one of the unique things on our background that doesn't sometimes come through and that is that uh, it's multi-generational, but it's a father-son team, You know, which when we get into succession and transition planning, puts us in a rather unique uh, spot because you've got the, the guy with a lot of gray hair and the guy with a little bit of gray hair uh, sitting at the table, looking at those internal transitions. So provides a really fun dynamic to be working with your, with your father after 20 years and, and doing that type of work. Wonderful. Awesome. Um,
0: as we get started, maybe you can provide a little bit more background and information, um, to your approach to strategy with second stage companies.
1: Sure. I think, you know, our, our strategic approach, which we've been doing for 20 years started initially with, um, a lot of work around the Jim Collins, you know, framework of good to great and built to last and starting to work with companies into those, those mindsets of, you know, how do we get the right people on the bus and where's the bus going to go? And the the technology as an accelerator and the flywheel and all those, those great ideas. Um, And back then planning was done kind of just on an annual basis, right? We'd come together, we would do an offsite and have, you know, a session and we Come up with a plan, and then maybe we got it implemented, maybe we didn't. Over the past, you know, I'd say for half a dozen years or so, it started to transition with the rise of uh, Rockefeller habits and scaling up, and EOS from uh, Gino Wickman, and, email, you know, some of these systems that started to take these concepts and start to build a tool set and the consistency of uh, execution around them. So we've seen a lot more. Um, activity with our clients you know rather than just an annual planning it's now very engaged you know we're meeting with them on a quarterly basis we're doing those annual sessions and a lot of times we're engaging with them on a weekly basis um, which has been a been a big transition for them and it's it's probably evolved more so where that vision side of it where oh we're going to be in 10 years is is not as important in those daily conversations as it is about dealing with our leadership in organizational issues how do we develop our culture how do we train and mentor and and coach so it's it's a big difference from you know the strategy mindset of looking at markets to the internal focus that we've seen over the past few years emerge
0: yeah and how did you end up um, focusing on second uh, tier businesses
1: um it kind of uh, happened by accident i Initially got started in my career in corporate, you know, working Fortune 500 uh, companies, doing a lot of work in the in the government space. And when I got bored and sick of that, I came home to the family firm, which was, you know, targeted towards small and midsize uh, companies uh, from an accounting standpoint. And so that was always the family, family history. And I ended up going to work with a company called Allied Reliability, which at the time was probably, a, started working on a consulting basis, doing a couple million dollars. And over the course of the 10, 12 years I was working with them, we scaled it to 50 million global operations and sold. So they fit the prototypical um, second stage company, you know, just rapid amount of growth, privately held, added lots of jobs, created a lot of economic value. And they, you know, just fell in love with that, that type of company. Um, You know, it wasn't big corporate where you couldn't get anything done. And it wasn't that early stage struggle of a startup, which, you know, didn't, can't have the money to pay you and had a pretty good chance they weren't going to be successful so you know it's kind of I, I fell into it by accident and really just found the passion for working with the, those companies that have that ability to to grow and scale
0: yeah and and scaling can be really difficult and I mean you you understand what it's like working um in a family-run business um And not that all small businesses that scale are family run, but often they are uh, initially. Um, And scaling from that first stage to the second stage can be a big hurdle. Scaling from that second stage uh, to further growth can be another huge hurdle. Um, What are just a couple of, of tips that you would give to most second stage companies as they're thinking about um the maturity of their organization getting the systems processes procedures policies in place to enable sustainable growth and scaling
1: yeah i mean the, one of the things we talk to and we you know initially get engaged with the ceo owner level and we talk to them about the ability to position the company so it can run without them and that usually kind of puts the light on in their head and go yeah wouldn't that be great if i wasn't here 80 hours a week how do I start to go and do that? Um, so I think one of those, that mindset for for an owner is the ability to start to let go and think about running the company from a scaling standpoint, that it can work without you versus I have to be involved in everything. And when you do that, it opens up a whole different level of decision making in their organizations, right? It's no longer them as the bottleneck making all those decisions. Now they have a team. And you know, candidly, a lot of times in these companies, those teams aren't prepared for that. They're generally, uh, you know, tier two, like they're managers, right? They work in the business every day and maybe they're starting to do a little bit of strategic thinking. But so it's a big step up to start to think about the business as an overall enterprise. Um, so, you know, for an owner to be able to uh, allow their teams to do that and give them the processes to, to do that is is critical to be able to scale, you know, getting that team engaged
0: yeah I love that and I think that's a what you just described is a common problem for a lot of leaders, not just those who are scaling or second stage uh, companies. you know just this this idea of releasing control, letting go, delegating more, um, empowering your employees um, and and uh, encouraging and supporting uh, their ownership over their pieces and and uh, really driving that robust collaborative discussion that can generate new, you know, great ideas. You know, that's, that's nice to say, but it's hard to do. And it's something that a lot of organizations really struggle with. Um, But particularly, like you said, I think small and growing um, organizations where, where the leader is used to doing everything, having everything run through them. That's, that's hard to let go of because it's their baby and they're so passionate and invested. And, you know, it's not just about, ego necessarily it might be ego but it also is just their passion and you know they, they want to see this be successful and it's really hard to let that go
1: yeah and the other challenge a lot of them have too is that you know if they've gotten to a certain size they've had people who have been there with them from the beginning who they've trusted and relied on who um, are really good at their job but aren't able to make that leap to kind of that next level of thinking and looking at the organizational. Holistically and in, in the big picture, so that can be a really painful for them in the decision-making process because they may have to take this person who's been by their side and say, you know what, we've outgrown you. Doesn't mean you don't have a role here on our on our bus, but we we're going to bring in someone over you to uh, who's got more of that holistic look for you and that that different skill set. So, really hard for companies at this stage to make those hard people decisions because yeah. of the inherent loyalty that they have to them.
0: Yeah. And, and that's good. That's good that they have that loyalty and that commitment, but you, you don't want to shortchange the rest of your employees and the potential that the company has uh, on over reliance on someone who's just not ready and able to fill the new scope of the role that they need to have. Right. Um, and, and that, that's so common that happens again, that happens in a lot of organizations, not just second um, stage organizations, but, um, but it's it's particularly challenging when you just think of the scope and scale of the work that needs to be done in a rapid growth company, um, in a scaling company. That's just not for everybody, and it doesn't mean that they weren't successful in the past. It doesn't mean that they can't be successful in the future. But perhaps that role needs to be tweaked a bit, something that's more suitable to their their skill set, their talents, and their capabilities.
1: Yeah, and usually when we're starting with companies, one of the first places we start is looking at their organizational chart. You know, how is, it, how is it aligned? And usually with these companies, we find it's, it's not based on how the company should operate, it's based on necessity. You know, so Sally has this duty, that duty, and that one, and they're really not related to her core job, which she was hired for. But we, we gave them to her because she was good at it, and now she's become a bottleneck and not taking on the right thing. So it takes a fair amount of time to untangle you know, the organizational chart to get everyone into the right seats and roles they can succeed in.
0: Yeah. Let's talk a little bit more about those bottlenecks because that's a huge problem um, for organizations where you have decision-making authority really isolated into specific areas um what what do you do in working with organizations to help them think through that and to help them uh, open up the the pipeline for decision making in key you know areas of the business
1: a lot of it is just utilizing an issue solving process with them in our in our meetings so you get them to do it on a weekly basis but you kind of start with the question well what's what's frustrating you What's causing your pain points today in, in work? You know what? Who's pissing you off? That type of stuff, and let it get out on the table with the with the group, and to talk about it in a constructive way, not to point fingers, you know, not to not to let the personal uh, side of it come into it, and not get defensive, but say, okay, this is the issue. How do we solve it? And then, what are our actions and tasks to do out of it? We're very big on the thought that if you're going to tackle an issue, you don't leave the issue until you solve it, and you don't. And you don't walk away without having definitive actions that you're going to take to resolve it. So getting our teams to think in those terms, and it's not as personal, you know, you've got a whole group conversation about it. Um, you've got different per- opinions and perspectives and you create that consensus for it versus sometimes the one-on-one that can, you know, make someone upset.
0: Yeah. And those, those difficult conversations that have to occur in these, these people management decisions, you know, that is a challenge. And I've seen, in the past, that a lot of um, CEOs and second-stage businesses, um, or, or C-suite, you know, senior-level executives, they just—they're not comfortable with having those discussions. They're not comfortable having, um, you know, making those those hard decisions. How how would you coach uh, a C-suite executive on that process as they're thinking through the people? Are they in the right place? Are they doing the right work? Um, these people that they've known for forever, that they trust, they love, um, they've, re- they've relied on how, how do you coach them through how to have those difficult discussions?
1: One of the, one of the tools that we use with it when we get our groups together, um, you know, is from, uh, EOS is this people analyzer tool, which allows you to rank your people against their core values. And then the get it, want it the capacity to do the job. So what it does is it goes, all right, here's a, here's what our organization believes, our core values and then here's the seat on the bus with the get it want it capacity so it allows us to have those conversations within the framework of the core values which takes some of the pressure off of you know the things we can't really put our fingers on about it because we're talking about well it was this core value and they did this and it doesn't really reflect what we're trying to do as an organization again the group is having that conversation and it comes out that way versus you know that that individual leader or manager who might be a little reluctant to get into some confrontation because they're not quite sure how to how to frame it. So um, we find that exercise works a lot to make people conversations a group a group thing because usually if someone's problematic, it's not just that that one person who they report to is having an issue with them. It's their coworkers, it's other departments. Um, so it brings it to light and allows the organization to address it. Um, from the organizational perspective rather than just the one-on-one case
0: yeah keeping it from being a personal issue it's about the the health and the success of the organization as a whole exactly yeah
1: Yeah. Do do you fit here do you align with our core values you know and then we have the conversation about the you know their seat you know they can be the right person for our organization but maybe they're in the wrong seat so by looking at it from both sides we're able to Figure out the difference, you know, which removes some of that bias that we can we can re, uh, resolve because we're looking at someone's not doing their job well. But yeah. maybe people or vice versa.
0: Yeah. And and. We don't need to think of it. You know, I, I would I would tell a, a C-suite executive who's struggling with having that kind of conversation. You know, they're worried about letting this person down They're they're worried about um, disappointing this person, hurting this person. And certainly we could do it in a really clumsy way that could have all those results, Um, but it doesn't have to. And we have to also think about it in terms of maximizing the capacity of of that individual and giving them the best chance for success and growth. And the best chance for success and growth doesn't happen when someone is in over their head, drowning in the deep end, right? If, if If they're not well aligned, Chances are that person, they know it. They know that they're, they're struggling. They know that people are relying on them and they're not coming through. Um, it causes stress. It causes anxiety. And their performance isn't great. Their their trajectory for their career isn't great if they're not performing well. And so when we can have those hard discussions, help assess the situation, realign people, get them in the right place, then we give them a chance to be successful again. We have a, We give them a chance... It might be a vertical move. It might even be a a small step down. But sometimes it's that small step down um, into a slightly different area that reinvigorates somebody. It gives them the chance to recalibrate their efforts. And then then it can relaunch them in their career and people can find great success. So I I like to frame it in terms of this is a development plan for you to find greater success in your career. Um, There may be a little bit of pain in the short run. Um, but we want to help you be successful and maximize your potential.
1: Yeah, and it changes the whole dynamic of that conversation. It's not it's not threatening to them. And it's been amazing, you know, over the years watching our companies as we've done that. We've moved someone from a seat where they didn't look like a good organizational fit. But as soon as we got them into a place where they could excel, everything about them changed. You know, we went, oh, my God, this is an A player now. It was just wrong, wrong fit. So by addressing it from that standpoint, we're able to get value out of someone who is a good person. They were just miscast.
0: Yeah, and I th- I think that's a really important point, too, because, I mean, pre-COVID pandemic, I mean, now we have record high unemployment rate, you know, 40-plus million people out of work over the last couple of months, and businesses are struggling. Prior to all of that hitting, though, we had record low unemployment rates, um, we had a hyper-competitive labor market. We had a real it was a really tight labor market where, where organizations are really struggling to get good qualified applicants, particularly in high-skilled jobs, to be able to perform roles. And so we, companies don't have the luxury of just saying, ah, this person, you know, Peter principal, this person was elevated to, a, you know, to their, past their level of ability and now they're incompetent. You know, in a lot of organizations, traditionally, that person would end up just getting fired. But we don't have that luxury in a hyper-competitive labor market where things are so tight. Um, instead, we can take a, a second look at that person. We can recognize and continue to understand the value that they can bring and add. We can recognize that maybe we made the mistake in putting them in the position that they're in, that they're not succeeding. And, and then we don't lose a valuable person. That's going to be really hard to replace, right?
1: Yep, and all the associated costs of replacing them. You know, the, the burden on everybody else, the actual dollar cost, the training cost for someone new, and it still can be a bit of a crapshoot whether or not that's the right person that you've replaced. So absolutely,
0: absolutely. That new we 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 often think, I mean, employees do this when they're looking for other jobs, you know, greener mm-hmm. pastures. Um but employers do this too. Like we we often think, ah, we, we just we just need this quick fix. Let's get this one person out, get this new person yep. in, that's gonna solve everything, that's gonna make all of our processes better, and we're gonna be a fine, you know, humming, fine-tuned, you know, engine at that point. And hiring's not that simple. Like hiring a good person and getting them in and functioning and working with the team, that's a hard thing to do well, especially at the highest levels of an organization. And so to just assume That this person's not working out super well, so we're just going to get rid of them and replace them with someone else who's going to be the magic wand to solve all of our problems. That's an incredibly naive uh, uh, perspective, I think.
1: Definitely. And particularly, you know, with the type of companies we deal with the second stage, because they don't have the the level of sophistication with their hiring processes yet. So a lot of it is still they hire by instinct, you know, so different sets of questions for different people, you know, hey, that guy loved the Patriots. We talked great, you know, they're good they're good people. We should hire them versus you know getting deep into those those uh, probing questions that you need to about their cultural fit and their decision making abilities. So yeah. it happens a lot more at that size company, so they they swing and miss a lot more often.
0: yeah, I think so and i I've seen a lot of examples of that too. I was talking with a a senior leader, oh, this was maybe six months ago, um, but I was talking with a senior leader at a company who was really proud to explain to me his process for making final hiring decisions. Um, You know, so he's like, I got the secret, I'm gonna tell you what it is. I'm like, oh, okay, I'm listening, you know, I'm a little skeptical, but I'm listening. And he tells me his his way of making final decision is kind of the camping test. Who, Who would I want to go on a camping trip for the weekend with? Who would I enjoy spending that weekend camping? And that's the person I'm going to hire because I know that they'll be a good fit with the company. And of course, in my mind, I'm like having red flags, you know, going off all over the place. I'm like, that is the last way you want to be making a hiring decision. (laughs) Um, That's
1: how you find a friend, not how you find an employee.
0: Yeah. And, and well, it just introduces all these biases and all these factors that you're not supposed to really consider when making a decision. You're not truly hiring someone who, um, you know, is necessarily the best qualified or skilled and chances are, when if you have that kind of an approach, chances are you're going to be hiring someone who's like you, who thinks like you, talks like you, acts like you, which is not actually what most organizations need. They need someone who's skilled, who who will, you know, there'll be healthy give and take and push, you know, a pushback and, and allow you to allow you to do your best work. So you don't just want a clone of you coming in. For a new position, you want to to really uh, push the envelope a bit and, and have people who will round out your team. Um, so, anyways, I, I thought that was just a funny comment, and and he was incredibly uh, proud of this insight and very confident in his approach. Like he 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 knew that he had figured it out. Like that was the answer for making good hiring decisions, and that's hard. That's hard to have a discussion with someone who is so confident in in what they've determined, you know, when I'm thinking, oh my gosh, for like 10 reasons right off the top of my head, that's a really bad idea.
1: (laughs) Yeah. No, and it's even, you think about it, like if you hire that way with you have all these different roles in your organization, which require different, different styles and different skill sets and to put it on that, (laughs) you're going to end up with a lot of people who are just like the owner. Yep. Absolutely.
0: And and you mentioned culture fit earlier too. That, uh, that's important. Like we need people who can work well with the team. Sometimes that gets corrupted, though. Sometimes um, leaders, they, they use culture fit as an excuse to hire people just like them. So yeah. you don't fit the culture because you're different than me. You have a different background, a different mindset, a different worldview. Um, you know, have a different upbringing than me. And so you don't fit with yeah. our culture. That's not what culture fit means, right?
1: Right. Um, no, it, it can t- quickly get corrupted you know, where if they're not careful, careful about it. um, Yeah. It's, do you, do you fit? Well, rather than understanding how it fits is, you know, do they fit the same core values? Do they fit our guiding principles here? Do they treat people the way we want to be treated, you know, recognizing they all have different, different interests and outside and uh, different styles, but how do we get that alignment? Yeah. Perfect. Well,
0: Michael, uh, we're about out of time. It's really been a pleasure talking with you today um, before we finish up, though, I want to give you a chance to share with the listeners how they could get connected with you and learn more about um, your business and how you might be able to help them.
1: Sure, you can find us on the web at uh, Van, which is vann groupcom dot com, and I think also our email is Let's Go at van dot com. Um, you can find us there. In as as John said, we work with you know predominantly second stage companies that are looking at how do they how they build sustainable organizations that can, that can grow and scale and operate without an owner having to be uh, involved in the day-to-day operations. So if you fit that pro set, uh, profile and are interested in, in learning about how we can work with you, we'd love to chat. Awesome. Well, thank you, Michael.
0: I encourage uh, my listeners to check you out and get in contact. Um, it's really, truly been a pleasure talking with you and I of hope course. we can do it again soon. Definitely. Well,
1: thanks for having me. Uh uh-huh. Bye-bye.